What's up, everyone? Welcome to Radically Normal. My name is Andre. I'm here with Michael. And on today's episode, we'll be discussing Exodus chapters 28 through 31. Hope you guys enjoy the discussion. Hey, man. So do you wish you were uh, recording right now or do you wish you were still on Snow Dancer? Oh, Snow Dancer. I wish I was Snow Dancer. <laughs> Couldn't remember what you were talking about for a sec. Yeah, but um, Mike is referencing the ski trip we just um, got back from. And that's why, or one of the reasons why um, we took two weeks off recording, but we had a ski trip and then um, Michael's wedding coming up as well as the holidays with Christmas and New Year's and all that. Wait, I think, I actually think, this, I think this releases on the day of the wedding. So if you're listening, say a prayer. Oh, dang it. Would it be on the day of the wedding? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it would. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, so that's. That's the reason for the the two week break. So, getting back into the swing of recording uh, after that nice little break off from it. But yeah, we spent some time in Utah with a couple of our friends, and it was a really really fast paced trip compared to our yeah. first trip to Colorado. So we were kind of hoping to do a episode on more of a special topic, maybe about evangelism or something, with our friends. Um, also in the episode, but that didn't end up happening. Super fast paced. Uh, we ended up leaving earlier than we thought to, and there was just a lot of driving and a lot of skiing. And we were definitely exhausted after it, but it was super fun. And Snow Dancer was actually one of our favorite uh, runs. Yeah. Yeah. Last day was a big, yeah, this was a big improvement from the last trip because by the end, by the last day on this trip, we were basically just doing blues the entire time because the last trip was Andre and I's first time skiing. So. This is a big improvement. In which we were doing greens the entire time. <laughs> Correct. So, yep. And then to get back, we left at 5 p.m. and then did not return to Dallas until 5 p.m. and drove through the night and did not stop. And uh, it was a long one. Yeah, Michael clutched up for us and drove from like 3 a.m. until like 7 a.m. or something. Yeah, let Dane get a little bit of rest while you guys all slept and I was just left to myself listening to Joe Rogan and Alex Honnold but that's okay because now we're back safely and now we can get back into Exodus so should I just recap last time or do you just want to dive in no we can do a little recaps and spend a bit of time sweet so in Exodus so last so not last week but last time we recorded we talked about Exodus 25 through 27 Uh, We looked at the instructions for the tabernacle. We talked about the Ark of the Covenant. We talked about the mercy seat. We talked about the cherubim gazing down at the mercy seat. We talked about, um, just looking back, we talked about the bronze altar. And we talked about moving out of the Holy of Holies and into the the courtyard and that sort of thing. So we kind of looked at how tabernacle is a new Eden. But today we actually look at those who are serving as a new Adam in the new Garden of Eden where God would dwell. And so the priests who we're going to look at today are serving as a new Adam as if as if they are serving inside this new Eden, this new creation of God, where he would dwell amongst his people. And so we're going to get into the, the priest garments and how they're consecrated and then some other things that are going to be in the tabernacle and then close out with chapter 31. So you want to dive in? Yeah, for sure. So this week we're going to get a whole lot more um, instructions. And as Michael said, this time more so on uh, specifically what the priests are to do on how they are to prepare um, themselves as well as um, as well as um, you know, the offerings and the altar 
um, to make sure that it is all holy um, and right um, for them to be um, in, in God's presence, how they can communicate and how they can have um, that communication with Yahweh. And so specifically with chapter 28, uh, we're talking, we're going to be, is, is talking, um, and we'll be discussing about um, the garments which the priests are to wear. And the first note in that Michael uh, left for me was uh, that he highly recommended um, that I search up the priest garments in Exodus 28 on Google um, as an, um, as kind of a visual visualization to, to help see, you know, exactly what's, what's being described um, throughout this chapter. And I kid you not, I recommend everyone looks this up because it is very, very helpful, um, especially uh, some of the things that I wasn't quite sure what they even looked like or what they even were. Um, for example, the um, ephod. Ephod or ephod? Remember, oh. ephod. Yeah, there we go. And what kind of what all these things look like, but we're going to get into some of those instructions. Um, and you guys can go ahead and look that up if you so please. Yeah, so I think it's helpful, like I said, I said this last episode too, looking up looking up a visual of the tabernacle, uh, like tabernacle ESV study Bible or priest garments, uh, something like that. And not all of the pictures are perfect. In fact, some of them are really weird, but it's still it's still helpful to get a visual and to imagine what like because it's not just some abstract instruction. This was real life for them. And the priest would genuinely the high priest would genuinely put this on and go into the Holy of Holies. So th this is this is key. Um and like I said, the, the high priest is like a new Adam going into, into God's presence. The instructions to Adam to work and keep, work and keep the garden in Genesis 2.15, those two words, work and keep, are only referenced again in the Pentateuch when in reference to the priests. In Numbers 3, they are to work and keep inside the tabernacle. So they're like a new Adam in God's presence. And chapter 28 begins, actually getting into the text, with Aaron and his sons being set apart from the rest of Israel to serve as priests. So they're being set apart or consecrated, as we'll see more in chapter 29. And then the rest of the chapter is really an outlaying of, of verse two, that they're going to make holy garments for Aaron, and they're going to be glorious, and they're going to be beautiful garments. And so the rest of the chapter, in my opinion, is basically the explanation of how, and then you kind of see if you understand the symbolism of what's going on, why they're glorious and beautiful. That's really good. And then, so, you know, just jumping right into what um, Yahweh is going to instruct Moses um, as what is to be prepared for Aaron and his sons. Um, so they are to make in verse four, a breast piece, an ephod, Ah oh, man, I'm gonna mess this up all episode. <laughs> of checker uh, work, a turban and a sash. So really in the picture, you can see, um, as Michael said, a lot of um, this is something that's to be beautiful. Um, it's to be glorious. Uh, it is to you know represent um, that these are the people set apart or consecrated um, to um, you know be the priests to Yahweh to enter into you know these holy places um, to perform these offerings. Um, we see. If you look in the pictures or, or look a little bit ahead to verse five, um, we see the colors, um, some of the same, um, you know, colors such as gold and purple, um, you know, that we saw in chapters 25 through 27, um, you know, with the tabernacle and, you know, the reasons for those colors, um, you know, especially with, with the gold and the purple, um, you know, showing more so um, how they're interacting with Yahweh, uh, you know, 
the royalty and glor glory of all of that. Um, so we get to see, um, you know, there's an exact, um, um, you know, type of color, type of, of garments that have to be worn. You know, much as we've seen with the instructions already in the, in the previous verses, uh, you know, everything has to be exactly perfect in order that, you know, it can be perfect um, as this interaction between um, Israel and, and Yahweh is, is going to go on. It's key that you said that it's an interaction between Israel and Yahweh, because I feel like so often we can read this and just think the priest is doing something that he wants by himself. But if we read, and it kind of flows right in with the text, what you said, because verses 9 and 10, they're engraving the names of the sons of Israel on their garments. And so it's obvious that it's the names of the tribes being engraved. So it's showing that when the priest enters the tabernacle, it's in, re it's in representation of the entirety of Israel. So it is an interaction, and it's great that you said that. It's an interaction, and it's good for us to keep in mind that Yahweh is interacting with all of Israel. The priests are solely the mediator. God interacts with all with all with with us through Christ, the mediator. And so uh, there is an engraving here in verses 9 and 10. And then uh, it kind, the text kind of moves. It begins to talk more about stones of remembrance. We're going to see that again as they cross the Jordan. They get stones of remembrance. Aaron's going to bear their names before uh, the Lord. And then we get an entire 15 or 16 verses uh, from verse 15 through verse 30 solely on this breast piece. And so that's kind of makes up a big piece of the chapter. And I do think that like we kind of already alluded or not alluded to, but talked about looking up on Google images, a picture of this it can be helpful. Yeah, for sure. So looking at verses uh, 15 um, through 30 with the breast, breast piece of, of judgment, we see um, you know, uh, the different, the different um, of stones and, and the different look of, of how this breast piece is supposed to look and the different engrave, engravings as, as uh, Michael mentioned. Um, and these are to, you know, symbolize, you know, all the, of the, um, the 12 tribes for the 12 um, stones um, on this breast piece. And, you know, that really is as, as Michael has been, um, you know, mentioning is, you know, that these represent the different um, sons of Israel. So the different tribes um, in that, um, you know, communication between um, Aaron and his sons and Yahweh, uh, that also represents that they're speaking to Yahweh, um, you know, for all of um, the different tribes, right? And all the people that, that fall into all of those. So essentially um, speaking to Yahweh um, for all of, of, of God's people. And so this breastplate of judgment um, represents um, represents that um, all of those tribes and that you know they're going to actually you know wear those on them um, is even a, a clear representation of how um, of how much um, you know this is a representation of of Yahweh speaking to all of His people, right? Um, as we had you know seen in, in the previous chapters, um, only um, you know the priest is the one who's going to get to actually go into this this holiest place. And so um, just because they're the only ones that can go in doesn't mean that that conversation is only is only for them. It's it's um, a place and, you know, different instructions on how this communication can happen for all of Israel. Yeah. And I think that verses 29 and 30 kind of summarize how the breast piece is key for that, because verse 29 discusses how it says Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel. So he's representing Israel. And then verse 30 gives us another, another function of the breast piece, which is some sort of divination or seeking God's will 
Um, in the breast piece of judgment, you shall put the, and I've heard this pronounced different ways, but uh, Urim and Thummim potentially, um, they'll be on Aaron's heart. And there's, there are like two types of stones in a sense you can think. And uh, they have to do with seeking God's will. They're referenced elsewhere in the Old Testament. And they actually pose kind of a mystery to commentators and scholars. But Douglas Stewart in his commentary says that they represented something on the order of last resort appeals to God for guidance, not individual guidance, but national guidance for the people. And uh, so this third resort, so he says the first resort might be obedience to the written law. The second resort might be listening for direct divine guidance through God coming, like speaking through a prophet such as Moses. And the third resort would be prayer. And this would be part of that prayer. So these two things in the breast piece would be used at, to seek God's will. And then, you know, next we move into, and I'm, I wish I wasn't the one saying next we move into the ephod. Ephod. I think it could be effort. I think people say both, but I'm going to. I'm tired of messing this up, but however it's pronounced, uh, we move into um, the ephid um, and, and basically the robes. If you're looking at the picture, um, as we see in verse 31, um, make the robe of the ephid all of blue. So this blue um, robe and then also a key characteristic, um, if you look down in verses um, 34 and 35, there are to be golden bells. And these, and so as you know, Aaron is to wear this, it says in verse 35, when he ministers, when he goes into the holy place, people are to hear the bells when he goes in and when he goes out. And what's key here is, you know, shows really how important all these instructions are and how important this um, priestly um garment is for Aaron and for sons. It says that at the end of verse 35, um, so that he does not die. So that Aaron doesn't die. So we see in verse um, 30, um, how, you know, Aaron will bear the judgment of people of Israel in his heart. Um, and then here, you know, hearing the bells when he comes in and out so that he does not die. So we see the gravity, how important this is. Um, this isn't just, you know, you know, Yahweh saying, I recommend you look to me. It's, it has so much more functionality than that. It, it really represents um, who is uh, who they are coming on behalf of, as well as, you know, the importance and significance of speaking to Almighty God. Yeah, and I think this is this is such a weird part of the chapter, because when I read verse 38 every time, I'm like, I don't get how, like, it, this seems like such a mysterious verse, because it says that it basically connects this this gold plate. So if you're just visualizing it, just imagine it's like a gold plate on the priest's forehead. But it's like, it's basically saying that that this gold plate is somehow connected to Aaron bearing the guilt of the people. And so somehow, some way, this forehead piece is reminding Aaron and reminding the Israelites in particular that what Aaron or the high priest is doing is based on faith and that um, therefore through that, their atonement is receiving forgiveness of sin. And so it has to do with Israel placing their faith in this atoning work that Aaron is doing on their behalf. Uh, and then he kind of continues the chapter, uh, or Moses continues writing out what God has commanded. And in the last piece of this chapter, just 40 through 43, we just get what, instead of it being what Aaron's going to do as the high priest, we get what it's, what is going to be proper for Aaron's sons, what's, what's going to be made uh, for them. Yep. And so we see, you know, as we just finish off, um, the fine linens that they're going to wear um, and, you know, the turban as well as, you know, the robe they're going to wear uh, for Aaron as well as all of his sons. Um, and that, you know, his sons are also to be consecrated, that they will serve um, as well. 
um, along with their father. Um, and, you know, it's important that they also be wearing um, something that's fine, uh, something that's, that's glorious and, and, and um, holy to be in within the tent, within these holy places. Um, and it says in verse 43 that they are to wear these things lest they bear guilt and die. Um, so we, and then we, we finish off with, with, we see this, uh, that this shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. So, um, Aaron and his sons and their line, uh, will have this statute and will be, you know, visible based on these different garments that they wear, but more so, you know, the consecration, um, in their hearts and, and them being set apart, ordained by Yahweh, um, to serve him in this manner. That's great. So finishing at 28 and then looking to 29. So we can think about 28 as what the high priest is going to wear. 29 is more, what is the, what are the priests actually going to be doing when they're consecrated in this holy service? And so uh, due to time, we're going to kind of do more verses at a time, maybe do some overviews. And so just jumping into the chapter in the first three verses, uh, it begins with now, this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them. And so the first three verses is this assortment of animals and items that are going to be used as, as I take it when I read it, what's going to be used in the rest of the chapter. Verses four through six is interesting because the Aaron and his sons are washed with water so that we have this ritual purification. Uh, and then in verses seven through nine, we have the actual anointing of the priests. And that all leads into this first little section, in my opinion, closes with verse nine, um, how the about the significance of the priesthood in Israel. So I think that's just maybe an overview of the, of the little beginning about this chapter. And then uh, starting in verse 10, uh, we see more of a section on um, you know, what this offering is actually supposed to be, which is going to be um, this bull that they are to bring uh, to the altar. And, you know, we clearly see that, you know, you know, what is this offering for? It's for the consecration of Aaron and his sons. Uh, we see that in verse 10. Uh, we see that they are to kill the bull uh, before the Lord. And they're, then they're to do um, a bit of different things with the blood of, of this bull. And ultimately, um, we see that this is going to be a, a series of offerings. So just getting, you know, into um, the first little bit of that. Um, you know, the first part is, is to be um, a sin offering. Um, so, you know, we see that. Um, you know, with the first bit of, of this offering it is to, you know, the different sins of Aaron and his sons, um, offering up a, a sacrifice, um, to the Lord, um, you know, for the purpose of, of that. And then, um, later on, you know, verses 15, um, through 18, mm -hmm. we can go on, um, with how Aaron and his sons are going to be consecrated. Now we see a food offering to the Lord. And here we see that, um, you know, they're going to burn um, this ram at the altar, um, we see that it's going to be a pleasing aroma. So now they're offering, um, you know, first for their sins and second, um, something that's to be pleasing, um, to the Lord. Um, and so we're going to continue to see, um, these offerings and, and how they are to use the different, um, parts of the ram, how they're to use the blood um, how this is to make, um, make them holy in this consecration process. So I'll let Michael continue on with an overview of, of, of this section with verse 19. Yeah. One thing I'd say is as you read the new Testament, 
maybe make a list of the different types of offerings uh, in the Old Testament and try to see in certain places where the New Testament says that Jesus fulfills that sort of offering. So in verses 15 through 18 that Andre just covered, the focus is this burnt offering that, it, that we're told about at the, in the middle of verse 18, uh, part A, uh, in the first sentence of verse 18. And um, it's a burnt offering to the Lord. So the focus is on this pleasing aroma. It's on the scent. And then in, at, at the beginning of Ephesians 5, we're told that Jesus was a fragrant offering to the Lord. So we kind of have fulfillment of that in the New Testament. And all these offerings are fulfilled by Christ. Uh, so that's just something maybe you can do as you look to see how the Old Testament law and the Old Testament instructions are fulfilled in, in Jesus. Um, and then, yeah, so just continuing on verse 19, verse 19 through 21, just summarizing it, the, the ram is killed and blood is put on different parts of their bodies before the rest is thrown against the sides of the altar. And then so the blood and the oil are used to set the priests apart as holy. Oil, but blood is what is atoning. And so both are significant. And then in verses 22 through 25, we get another offering, the wave offering, which is literally like picture waving it before them. Uh, or sorry, waving it before um, the Lord. And uh, according to Douglas Stewart, the original wording, if you read it in the Hebrew, literally says, you shall wave them as a waving. And so the focus is on waving in sort of a worshipful manner before the Lord. Um, and so the idea is that Moses sees that this happens, Douglas Stewart says. And then we kind of just continue on in the chapter. Um, in verses 29 and 30, we kind of get this key instruction that the garments for Aaron are going to be continued uh, with his sons and that this will be succeed, su this will be in succession. So we've already heard that it's going to continue in Israel's future, but now there's a specific instruction that what's true for Aaron is true for his sons. Yeah. So that's really good. Um, going through verse 29. And then, you know, as Michael said in verse 30, we see that, you know, these garments are to be passed on from Aaron to his sons. And we see that this um, holy consecration process is to take, um, seven days. And I think Michael's going to talk a bit more about that um, in a few verses from now. But then we see, starting in verse 31, that the ram that has been used for these different um, uh, sacrifices um, is to be boiled. And then Aaron and his sons are to eat of the flesh of the ram along with bread. Um, and in verse 33, we see that as they eat those things, it will serve as. Um, you know, with which atonement was made in their ordination and consecration. Um, and we also see that any outsiders cannot eat of this um, because they're not holy. And so we see how important it is, these different processes that have taken place, the different garments. Um, and it really shows that now, um, because of this ordination and consecration, now Aaron, um, as priest, um, can now be seen as holy um, in the eyes of Yahweh. And we see, and then lastly, we see that anything that they don't eat um, has to be burned again because of how holy it is. Um, that others can't eat it; it shouldn't just be left um, to waste. It also will be burned. Um, and then I'll let you jump in with verse thirty-five and get a little bit more into um, the thematic, you know, concept of the seven days of the ordination. Yeah. So in verse thirty, um, we had that the that the son, the new priest, shall wear for seven days the garment. Verse 35 is key. They're going to be ordained for seven days. Uh, through seven days shall you ordain them, and every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. And this is no accident, and it's key that we don't miss things that aren't accidents in the text, because it makes sense. If the priests are entering a new creation, if they're entering a new Eden, it makes sense that 
symbolically, and it did happen historically, but the symbolism behind what was really happening is pointing us back to the priests are entering the new creation, and it's going to resemble the original creation in Genesis 1, which occurred in seven days. So the priests are entering the new creation, the new Eden, and the heavens and the earth were fashioned and created in beauty in seven days, and they're their process is in seven days. Verse 37, seven days, you shall make atonement for the altar. So the altar itself is consecrated as holy. And this is a key time as well, not to just look back to original creation, but to look at God's own character. Because as we read this, we don't want to just read it and think it happened in the past. It has no bearing. We want to learn about God. And it's key that in, in this section, that what we're seeing about God is that he's holy. Israel's camp had three designations. You could be unclean, you could be clean, and you could be holy. And holy was of the grandest stature because Yahweh himself was holy. If God himself is holy, that has major implications for how we view Jesus' atoning work, has major implications for how we view God drawing near to us and worshiping him as holy, has major implications for us trusting him. So I think in this, we see a beautiful scripture that God's given us and also his own character is holy. And this kind of all, you know, comes, um, you know, full circle. You know, as Michael said, we see the the offerings that are to be done at the altar, um, you know, in verse 39 with a lamb, um, as Michael began to to describe um, how the altar is to, be, is to be holy. And we see again um, that they are to make two offerings, one in the morning, one in the evening. But ultimately, this is supposed to produce a pleasing aroma. It's to be a food offering for the Lord. Um, and we see that this will be a regular offering um, that will be um, followed throughout generations um, at the entrance of the tent. And we see why this is so important, uh, because um, this uh, purification process um, is where the Lord will be, where he will meet and speak um, to Aaron um, on behalf of all of Israel. In verse 42, we see that um, and in verse 43, again, it reiterates this, there I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. So we see, you know, why is this ultimately important? Because ultimately what's most important is to be able to have that, um, that to be able to meet with the Lord, be able to, to hear the Lord speak. That's what's most important. That's why um, Aaron and his sons are to do all these things. That's why these instructions are being given to, uh, to Moses. Um, and that's why this is so important. Um, to the people and why, um, you know, the story of Jesus is so important to us, right? We can have that, um, that dialogue freely now. It's so good. Emmanuel, God with us, just celebrated Christmas. And, you know, it is key, like Andre said, like the point of the redemption is to come into God's presence. That's the point of ours too. And not just in the future to come into God's presence. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And so, it's key that we see our lives now as we've already been redeemed to be in God's presence and to share that with others. And so it's key that we do seek opportunities to just dwell with God um, one-on-one and in prayer and in communion with his word and things of that nature. Um, and then so getting into verse chapter 30, just doing an overview of a couple early sections. Uh, the first we see this altar of incense. Verse 6 tells us it was going to be placed in front of the veil. It's above the Ark of the Testimony. So in the holy place, not in the most holy place, just outside of it, uh, just outside of those curtains that would have the cherubim on them. Um, and then it says in verse nine, it makes clear that this uh, worship by God is authorized. Um, and then in the second section, we get this verses 11 through 16. We have a tax. Every person in the census is to give a Lord's offering of half a shekel. And this is for service in the tabernacle for the continuing work of the priests. Yeah, that's really good. And so 
after we see um, the tax as well as the altar of incense, we can jump into the bronze basin. So this is where um, Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and their feet. Um, so we know how important, um, you know, feet washing is culturally more so getting into that, you know, becoming clean mindset. Uh, so they're to become clean before they come uh, to the altar where they will, you know, minister, where they're going to be able to talk to the Lord, um, where they're going to make these offerings uh, to Yahweh. So they're going to uh, use this bronze basin to wash their feet. And uh, it says that um, this is going to be used by Aaron and his offspring throughout their generations. And then lastly, uh, we get into the anointing oil and incense. So there is um, some instructions on the ingredients um, of what is to go into this anointing oil. And then also uh, we're going, uh, we also see how this anointing oil is not to be, you know, attempted to be recreated um, by anyone else. So this oil is going to be holy. It's going to be used, um, um, you know, to consecrate um, the different utensils, the different, um, you know, the basin, all the different things that we've seen um, throughout the, the previous uh, five or six chapters are um, to be consecrated with this um, holy anointing oil um, and incense. Um, and so we see instructions on how they are to, to make this, this, um, this anointing oil here. You think, you think we can anoint the podcast if we uh, get the oil and the blood and put it on our mics and everything? And we wear the garments. Dude, we should make the garments. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I think that's the play. Dude, then imagine you just have the garment. You can wear it anywhere you want. Football game, intramural, whatever, class. I think that's the play. Then you can get 100 on everything. Yeah, I think it's more sacred. So jumping into the last chapter, uh, chapter 31, um, we see that these um, two men, uh, Bezalel and Holiab, are going to actually be the two who get the um, in verse three, we see the ability, intelligence, and knowledge in craftsmanships, in craftsmanship, um, to actually be able to work with all of the different um, types of of metals of of wood that we see that are going to be needed to to create um, and follow the instructions that Yahweh has given to Moses um, for the um, assembling the building of of the ark. And, you know, of, of the 10 of all the things that we've seen so far, I'm um, crafting the different, the breastplate, um, doing those inscriptions and, and all of those things. We see that, that Yahweh is the one who gives this ability um, to them. And then uh, we see that, you know, the tribe of Dan um, is, is going to be, the men of this tribe are going to be given um, the ability to um, help these two men. Um, who have this this knowledge and um, ability with with these different artistic designs um, to help them, um, and so that you know together they can make all the things that the Lord has commanded them to make, um, you know, including the ark, the mercy seat, um, the different utensils, um, you know, producing um, the holy garments that the priests are to wear. Um, this is how you know all these things are going to be made. It's not going to be just brought out of thin air, but Yahweh is going to give this ability um, to these two men as well as to this tribe um, to help them 
that they can make all the things that the Lord has commanded them. Love it. And then, so it's actually interesting what a turn we get right before we get to the famous golden calf chapter, which we'll cover next week. We get a turn. We've been focusing on instructions, construction, and what the priests are going to be doing and wearing. And then the complete turn is that we conclude this entire section of Exodus. Exodus 25 to 31 is a clear section in the book. We conclude the entire section with the last seven verses of the chapter, which are all about seizing any word, the Sabbath. And so we're seizing work. Remember, the tabernacle is sacred space. They, they've, it's a holy space where God is the new creation. The priests were the new Adam. They're the, they're the new creation of they resemble a new creation, God restarting and redeeming, not just the space of the tabernacle, but the people uh, through the priests, mediatory work. And then now the Sabbath is a holy time for God. So we have holy space, holy priests, holy time. So this is holy time. It's a new way of doing life, a way of flourishing that would differentiate Israel from the nations. And that's key. And that's obvious in the text, not making it up. You can read it in verse 13 because it's a sign. In verse 13. And it's not just assigned to them based on Deuteronomy 4, or is it, it might be Deuteronomy 8, but wherever it's said that the nations are going to look at the wisdom of Israel. So it's assigned both to Israel and to the nations about how they have this new consecrated place. And this is the end of the revelation that we receive before the golden calf idolatry. And so, of course, verse 18 concludes by telling us that these were commandments that Moses received, uh, written with the finger of God. And that's going to be very, that, that theme of God revealing specific instructions for his people is directly contrasted by the fact that the people disobey that, the finger of God in, in chapter 32. So that'll just conclude chapter 31. That's really good. So that's, I have nothing else to add to that. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this episode and join us back next week to continue the discussion through Exodus.